righty. Uh, I didn't want to embarrass anybody about your clothes that you wear. I know that there's a casual and then there's a dress casual and that's what you got on. Not really. Okay. Uh, Amanda, I wanted to recognize Amanda, my wife. Everybody give her a hand. Just... Just because she's my wife and she deserves a clap of the hand, right? right? That's... <laughs> And you have to do what I say. No. Yeah, brand points. No, actually, she probably, I'm probably losing points by doing that. But uh, anyway, I just want everybody to know that I love her. She's awesome. Okay, how are you all doing right now? Uh, how, how are you doing? Uh, how are you doing spiritually? Is there, is there anything that's dragging you down right now? Uh, it's hot in here. Is it just me or is it the lights? All right. <laughs> the lights are dragging me down. Uh, as I was preparing this message the, the past few weeks, I've just kind of noticed just how dry spiritually that I am, uh, that I've been. And, and we all go through these stages in our life where we're just kind of, uh, like we're just kind of being drugged down by uh, gravity. Just, it's just pulling us down and, and our spiritual state is just down. And that lackluster shine that, that we know that Jesus as our light is just not very bright, just kind of dim as we're going through our life. And we're just going through the motions, just like that song we just sang. That song was on purpose. The problem with just going through the motions is that there's no excitement in our walk, in our faith. There's no, there's no power behind it. And so we're, we're just being... Uh, held down by this gravitational pull that seems to just not let us up. And the energy that's holding us down, uh, it just keeps our, our relationship with Christ down. And there are a lot of things that this gravitational pull does. Did you know that if you measure yourself when you wake up and then measure yourself again before you go to bed, you're going to be a half an inch shorter? That's not good for a guy like me. I'm short. It's, it's horrible. Like, I love it when the youth come into the program and they're all little kids and they're all short. But then you look at uh, Jacob and, and Jonah. You guys stand up. Look at this. This is what happens. That's what happens. And so, I, I mean, I've got like the little man's complex. I remember as a kid, I would uh, accuse my mom of drinking when she was pregnant. I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, yeah. Well, and my, my, uh, my mom likes to tell my wife that story to shame me because of it. So uh, other things that make us shorter as we grow older, osteoporosis happens and we shrink as, as we get older. Nathan once told me that, that Jeff used to be six foot six. I don't know where he's at now. So I really wonder how old Jeff really is. But in life, we shrink because of this gravitational pull towards our bones and our muscles. And there's this spiritual way down as well. Maybe something's happened to you, and uh, maybe it's a loss of, of something or someone in our life. Maybe it's a, a disappointment of some kind, something you were really looking forward to, and it just didn't pan out for you. And it's just weighing you down, and it just seems so heavy on our life. And to this, God is saying, I'm all about you rising. I'm all about you uh, taking you out of that despair and that that hopelessness and the averageness. 
that blah spiritual state. I'm about you rising. I'm about lifting you up. And I'm a God that loves to raise you up out of those things. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 121 today. And uh, this psalm is included with 14 other psalms in a group that has the ascription, Shir Hama'alaf, which means uh, in Hebrew, the song of ascent. That's what these are. And so there's 15 of them. Now, the first time that I heard uh, somebody talk about the, the songs of ascent, I was like, what is he saying, ascent? So I'll just put that word up on the screen for you. It's, uh, it's ascent, to climb or to rise just so that we're clear on what I'm saying when I'm saying ascent, because I know it can kind of sound like something else. God called the people of Israel, his people, every year to three different festivals in remembrance of him. And he called them or he invited them to Jerusalem for these three remembrance festivals, these celebrations. And it was on the calendar. And so what you would do is you'd get your people and your things together, and you would head up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, if you look at it ge- uh, geographically, it's, uh, it's, it was called uh, uh, in the hills of Judea, and it was up high, and that's what it was known for. It was being up there. You would literally have to go up to Jerusalem. So three times each year, God would call you up, and you may not have known that you needed to go up, but God knew that you needed to go up. God knows that we need to be lifted up, and we need to rise above everything that's keeping us down, weighing us down. So three times each year, God has called his people to these festivals. Tradition says that the people of Israel, as they went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the goodness, the faithfulness, and the provision of God, they sang these songs of ascent. And as they ascended up the mountain, they sang. You can also read outside of the temple, there were uh, uh, in the court, uh, near one of the gates leading up into the temple, there were these steps, and there were 15 steps Imagine that, 15 steps. And as you would uh, look down the steps, you'd see as it went away from the temple, <coughs> pardon me, it got wider. And what the people would do, the ministers, is they would come up to minister in the temple. They'd step on that first step. And they'd, they would sing Psalm 120 as they went up that first step. And then the next step, they'd sing 121. And then 122, and as it went up the 15 steps. The songs of ascent, that's what they did. The idea being that these psalms were to get you to raise up your eyes, to raise up your gaze and to put your eyes on God. And again, this is figurative and it's literal. As these men took these steps and they sang these songs, their spirits would rise and their attitudes would rise and their, their, uh, their mindset would rise. So the idea today is to rise up, to raise your eyes and your gaze and your refocus on the God that you know to be there. Let's read Psalm 121. That's the focus of today's sermon. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? That's a rhetorical question. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And that's where you need to be when all the weight is, is upon you, all the weight of the world. When gravity does its thing and that yuckiness and the despair just pulling on you, you lift your eyes up to the hills and you take that second step and fix your eyes on where your help comes from. Your helper, the one that made the heavens 
in the earth. Really, there's not a better Lord, is there? I mean, our God, the focus of our gaze, made the heavens and the earth. That's a pretty cool thing. And there's no better place, there's no better thing or an attitude or a state of mind than that God, that magnificent, that huge, huge God. Nothing is better than rising to the occasion. Do you feel a little like, like you just rose up a little bit just reading that first part, those two verses in, uh, in Psalm 121? I mean, did you just rise up in your spirit at all, just hearing, you know, that's where my help comes from? Like, it just builds you up. That's the whole point of it. I just need to lift my eyes and focus back on the Lord. For these people, it was a literal raising up of their eyes to Jerusalem. And for us, it's the knowledge of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. For them, they hadn't had Jesus yet, but we do. And we know what Jesus accomplished for us. And then on top of all of that, uh, he sends his spirit to be our comforter. These are promises. Where does my help come from? Where does my hope come from? It comes from the Lord. Amen? All right. Too many of us don't know where our help comes from. Is your help coming from, uh, from your boss? Is your help coming from your government? Is it? Is it coming from the government? And a cell phone too? Is that where your help is? Is your help coming from the, the end of a marriage or a, a really long period in your life that you've accomplished? Is your help um, some sort of addiction? Is your help that one glass of wine at the end of the day, hard day? Is your help that cup of coffee in the morning? Where is your help? Is it a certain somebody in your life? Where's it coming from? The psalmist says, our help comes from the Lord, the creator, the maker of the heavens and the earth. The guy said, the guy that said, let there be hundreds of thousands of galaxies. The guy that said, and let there be hundreds and thousands of planets and stars inside of each galaxy. The guy that said, I'll put galaxies inside of galaxies. The guy that said, I'm going to make man so intricate that you can't even blow up an image close enough to see what makes the working parts of a man. That God, that Lord, that source. Verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The cool thing about all of this is that we don't have to climb a mountain to get to God, right? Jesus came while we were still sinners. He came to us. He came to our aid. He died on a cross for us so that we didn't have to climb the mountain. We don't have to kill any innocent animals because of our sin. God said, I'm going to take care of it for you. And he sent his son, Jesus, to be that person that comes to us. We don't do anything. We just accept it and see what he did. Then he sent a spirit to comfort us, to get us through those hard times. And no matter what we're going through, it says that he doesn't slumber. 
He doesn't sleep. Our God keeps us. He protects us and watches over us. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. That's, that's a promise right there. The sun shall not strike you by day. That means nothing's going to touch you at daytime or nighttime. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Man, I love these promises of God's word. Amen. What are you getting out of this? Does it not like resonate inside of you to know that this is the God that we serve that's doing these things for us? That's not slumber. He's not sleeping. And he's going with us in the inn. And when we go out, that by day, by night, this is the God that stands for us. The Lord is our keeper. Not keeper, but keeper. We're just going to have to read this again. Pay attention to the promises that God has for you. Don't miss this. He will not let your foot be moved. He will keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What is up, y'all? These promises are awesome. Talk about raising your eyes to something. We can take two things from this. The first one, he is my help. The key statement is the my in the my help. He's my help. God is not some kind of genie that you rub and get to make wishes to, but he's your help. He's established a relationship with you that says, no matter what you're going through, whatever is going on, the pressure, the blah life, the strife, the despair, the sorrow, the hopelessness. He's your help. He's your solid rock. He's the guy that will stand in the gap for you. Second one. I like this part. He doesn't sleep. I'm sure plenty of people in here uh, or you're listening on iTunes or you're listening from the website or uh, however, in 20 years you're listening to this sermon because it's going to last that long. I, I know you're probably like me in that you can get bogged down mentally when you go to sleep at night, that you can lay in bed and stay awake uh, all night thinking. And I'm, I, I'll just let you in on something, and some of you already know this because you've uh, been with me long enough, but I think numerically. So I think numbers all the time. And so, like, if I see a road sign and I'm traveling down the freeway or whatever, and it says Dallas, 120 miles, I'll look down at my speedometer, and I'll keep myself busy the whole entire trip. Just, you don't even have to talk to me because I'm, I'm busy thinking now. I'm looking at my speedometer and see 75 miles an hour, and I immediately start going, okay, well, if I was going 60, that would be two hours, 120 miles. Okay, I'm going 15 miles an hour over, so that's how many seconds per minute am I saving, and then which, how, what time am I going to get to Dallas city limits? That's the way my mind works. And if you go, like, with me on a long trip, uh, or say you're in the van ride in the middle of the night to Alabama to go to, to, go to youth camp, 
and everyone else is asleep and you wake up and look at me and you see that the radio's not on and you're like, how is that guy doing that? How is like the radio's not on? It's the middle of the night. Zach has fallen asleep trying to talk to me on the radio. And I'm just standing, sitting there and you watch my eyes and my, my, my pupils are probably going like this. Because I'm just thinking, you know, I'm constantly calculating. Oh, now 119 miles. How many, you know, where am I at? Checking my speed. Like, I just, I can do this forever. And so Amanda knows, because this is the way I think, she knows not to bring up numbers before we go to bed. <laughs> because if, if we start talking about money or finances or something like that, we're good. You know, we went through the, the Dave Ramsey program. But uh, if I start thinking it's over. And literally, uh, I'll start thinking, you know, 15 cents an hour. If I, if I made 15 cents an hour more, that's going to give me $312 a year minus the 30% for taxes. We're looking at 218 uh, with 40 cents. And, uh, I could put that in my Dave Ramsey slash Andrea Davis hair fund. <laughs> you know, like that's how I think. And then I'm like, and then I go on, Oh, what if I made 30 cents? That's not too much. That's like, you know, and I just, I will do that all night long. That's the way I think. So if you're like me and you can get bogged down with something like that, it's good to know that there's a God out there that's not sleeping along with me. There's a God out there that as I'm trying to sleep, he's working on my behalf. That's a good thing to know. That whatever is causing my concern to, uh, to, to not sleep now, with me, that can be as easy as numbers, but, you know, if there's a problem in your life, that job situation, you know, having to, uh, to make, maybe you're the boss and you're having to make some decisions and, and you know it's just going to, it might cause problems. And so it keeps you up at night. It's good to know that there's a God out there that's not sleeping. Amen? I'm going to show you some other areas of God not sleeping and watching over us. It's uh, the next one we're going to look at is Psalm 127. This is what it says, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. God wants to be your everything. He wants you to raise up your eyes and see that he's watching over you. And these two verses in Psalm 127 explain what we do when we can't sleep, when we have the weight of the world upon us, pulling us down. We labor in vain. We fret in vain over our families. We stay awake in vain. And we chew our fingernails and the... the, the caps of the pins at the church. And I know that you're struggling with a lot because I put those pins in that basket every single week and see the pin caps you destroy. But we'll keep providing those pin caps for you. But as it says at the end of these two verses, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Another version says that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. You don't know when God is at work. When you are awake, he's awake. And when you're asleep, he's awake. He may be healing somebody at 2 a.m. He may be imparting wisdom at 3.30. He may be bringing peace to somebody at 5. 
when we should all be asleep till 8 o'clock. Amen? God is always at work on your behalf. I do not sleep. I do not slumber. Psalm 139, starting in verse 17. You wonder how much God cares about you and what, uh, and what you're going through? This is, this is a good verse for that. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. This is the psalmist David who's, who's saying this. How vast is the sum of them. How infinite, how gigantic the sum of God's thoughts about us. And David says, verse 18, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. Have you ever tried to count the grains of sand? You have to be pretty bored to count the grains of sand, but I did the dirty work for you. If you were to take a teaspoon of sand, and I'm talking about the average grain of sand, you're going to find, more or less, you're going to find 2,000 grains of sand in a single teaspoon. That's a lot. And uh, can you imagine just how many thoughts of God are in the sands of the world? If 2,000 grains of sand are in a single teaspoon, that's a lot. But here's the good part. He says, I awake and I am still with you. That's a glorious thought. When I go to sleep, your thoughts surround me. As I sleep, your thoughts surround me. And when I wake up again, I'm still with you. This is a God that desires you more than you can even possibly imagine desiring him back. Some, uh, sometimes in life, it isn't that simple. You go to sleep fretting over something, and when you wake up, you're still fretting over that same thing. But he says, I'm still there. I'm still there. But what God is showing us is that if we turn our gaze up at him, we see a God that cares for us, that doesn't sleep. And we see uh, where our help comes from. Just because we lift our eyes doesn't mean that that cancer is going to go away. Just because we lift our eyes doesn't mean that that certain somebody is going to magically appear. Just because we lift our eyes doesn't mean that that situation is just going to disappear. It means that when we lift our eyes in that moment, we know we're going to be saved. Whatever happens, we're going to be saved because we see where our help comes from. I'm going to give you a few examples of people from the Bible that maybe you can relate to instead of uh, just these concepts. The first is Moses, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 6. And Moses hid his face. Where do you think Moses' gaze is at this moment? Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's stop right there. That is God representing Psalm 121. I will keep you in your comings and your goings. This is good stuff. And I'll keep you wherever you go. And wherever I send you, I will keep you. Everything sounds good to Moses at this point. But then God throws Moses for a loop. 
continues, and it says, To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to the land of milk and honey. Nice place. Sounds like they serve breakfast 24 hours a day. If you're into that sort of thing, sounds awesome, I guess. But then he names a bunch of ites. And he's like, no, God, you just said the land of milk and honey. I don't want all those ites in there. Who are the ites? They're our enemies. They're like all the enemies. And you're going to put all the enemies with the milk and honey? No, no, you're missing it. Continues on verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may uh, bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Immediately after God reveals the future to Moses, Moses begins to say, Whoa, God, I think you got the wrong guy. Obviously, you got the wrong guy because... uh, have you seen my faults and my abilities, my lack of abilities? Uh, I, did, you, did you not know that I murdered that guy? I stutter. I can't lead. I know you want to take the Israelites to the promised land, but I don't think I'm your guy. Where is Moses' gaze at this time? Down. He is looking at himself. He's looking at his own inadequacies. So God responds to him, but not in the way that we've been accustomed to. God doesn't just give Moses a, a pat on the back and an a inspirational speech with a violin playing in the background. He doesn't do that. Here's what God says, verse 12. I will be with you. That's it. No pep talk, short and simple. However, it's a promise. Sometimes we have it all wrong. Sometimes we focus too much on this self-help nonsense to boost our confidence. But all we need to do is look up. Look up. Oh, you're going too? We'll be fine. You're going too. Literally. I think uh, all this is, is for us to quit looking down at our own inadequacies and deficiencies and just look up and say, oh, you're going to. Let's look at another one. Daniel was taken into Babylon and forced to live under the, the rule of, of uh, King Darius, who wanted everyone to worship him and not any other gods. And well, Daniel wasn't about to do that. So Darius had decreed that if you worship other gods, he's going to throw you in a lion's den. Pretty familiar story. Some of us uh, heard that when we were kids says in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that's the, you're going to go to the lion's den if you worship other gods, decree. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. And Daniel looked up to Jerusalem. God invited the Israelites to look up three times each year. But Daniel chose to look up three times each day. God invited the Israelites to look up. I already said that. I'm sorry. As he was being held as a slave in a foreign land, 
he looked up and saw the God who made the heavens and the earth and his keeper. And he said, I can't take these 15 steps of ascent, but I can look up at the hills and see where my help comes from. Well, Daniel gets caught praying, and then we find out in verse 13 that somebody tells on him, a little tattletale, that Daniel's been praying three times every day. But the king liked Daniel, and so he didn't want to throw him in the lion's den, but then he was reminded, hey, you made this decree, and you can't go against your decree. You have to follow through with it. So that's what he does. In verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. And with the signet of his lords, and that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The king was distraught over what he had to do to Daniel, and he couldn't sleep. And he didn't have any entertainment that night. There were no, uh, no jugglers, no comedians, no high wire acts. He fasted. And some of you were like, I can relate to Daniel. I've been looking up and just looking up and looking up. And then all of a sudden, some dude knocks on my door and sends me to the lion's den. I can relate to that. Verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went into the haste to, uh, to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And and then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. God fortunately stayed up all night with Daniel and everything worked out. We're going to look at one other guy, Stephen. And if you're looking at your own inadequacies, it's time to look up. If you're looking down at your situation, it's time to look up. If you're just feeling spiritually dead and you, uh, and you don't know how to break that blah of what's going on, just I just feel so blah, like I believe, but... I just don't feel like doing anything. Eyes up to where your, where your help comes from. Stephen is preaching to people that don't want to be preached to. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen's like, "Uh uh-oh, I've done it now. I really ticked him off, and uh, I guess I better look up. So what did he see when he looked up? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Usually Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, but Jesus is now standing at the right hand of God. And he's standing, and he's like, "Uh, hey, Stephen, I see what's going on here, and I, I see that they're grinding their teeth, and they're pretty mad at you. And I, I see that you're about to lose your life. So I'm standing in your honor because of your faithfulness to me. 
Verse 56 continues, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God again. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Whoa, hold on. Didn't you just talk like a whole 30 minutes about how Jesus is our helper? Where is Jesus at this time? Standing at the right hand of God. What, what, you just got done telling us about how he's our helper. What does this mean? How did this happen? And Jesus is up there saying to, to Stephen, you've taken the right steps. You've taken the right steps. You've done what I wanted. And I'm standing in honor of your faithfulness to me. And I'm going to defend you. I'll defend you before my father. Let's keep reading verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he was still with him. And he realized that he was standing before Jesus. Psalm 121 said, He will not let your foot be moved. Stephen, standing before his maker, said, You didn't let my foot be moved. I'm standing in your glory. And Stephen died. That's true. I think we sometimes forget that that heaven is better than earth. I think we lose focus of that. And Paul said in Corinthians uh, that we're fools to love this earth more than what's to come. We get so wrapped up, and we're, we're the ones that should know this better than anybody else. Heaven is better. So what are you so concerned about? <laughs> Death? Really? Really? Are you really concerned about that? If you are, eyes up. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I know that last Sunday, Doug uh, asked us if, uh, if there was too much on your plate that you couldn't handle, and a lot of you stood up. So I know that you're, you're feeling it. You might feel like that stone has been placed at the door and those uh, seals have been placed on the rock and the door, however seals go on. But God's reaching out to you today to say, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see where your help comes from. Depend on me. Quit looking down. Rise up. Everybody, blah, spiritual states happen. Things happen in this world. Loved ones go through horrible surgeries. And it drags us down. But we have a God that's not sleeping. He's not slumbering. We have a God that has promised us that he'll be there for us at all times. What better thing could we focus on than those miseries? Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that you are there.
and that you have promised us through your word that you'll always be there, that you won't sleep, you won't slumber. You're going to be with us in the going in and the going out when it's daylight, when it's nighttime. You are a keeper. Thank you for reminding us of that. I ask you, Lord, to lift all of our eyes up, Lord. Cause us to look up to the hills where our help comes from. Be with us all this week. Be with Doug and Janie on their cruise and uh, just pray that they don't get stranded in the, <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico. And if they do, that they get free, free, uh, a free trip. Lord, we just ask you to be with them and uh, be with us all in the name of Jesus. Amen.